0: On today's episode, we have a Pro Runner Spotlight with Sarah Klein. Welcome to the podcast, helping you train, rehab, and run smarter. When I first started running in my 20s, I knew it would be something I'd be passionate about for the rest of my life. But unfortunately, developing injury after injury disrupted my progress and left me under-trained at the start line on race day. Even with my knowledge as a physio, I still fell victim to the vicious injury cycle and when searching for answers, struggled to decipher between common running myths and evidence-based guidance. That's what this podcast is here to help you with. So join me as a Run Smarter Scholar and let's break the injury cycle by raising your running IQ and achieving running feats you never thought possible. Welcome back, Run Smarter Scholars. I have been getting great feedback from the previous pro runner spotlights that we're doing, diving into their training, their injuries, their rehab, their strength, uh, all those sorts of things. And today is no exception. We have Sarah Klein, who has represented Australia. She is a marathoner. She is a two hours and thirty minutes marathoner. And as we do on these episodes, we dive into her career, her injuries how she gets so fast, what her training schedule is like. Uh, We also dive into things like how she paces her race, how she tapers, what her carb loading is like, which I found really interesting and uh, answer a couple of your patron questions as well. So without further ado, let's bring on Sarah. Sarah, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah.
0: Let's get started with people who aren't familiar with you, maybe just introducing yourself and I guess getting them familiar with your running career up to date.
1: Yeah. uh, Well, my name's Sarah Klein. Um, I'm a long distance uh, runner, primarily the marathon. There is another Sarah Klein out there, but she's a 400 meter hurdler. So um, certainly not to be confused. Um, But yeah, I'm one of those um, runners that started back in under sevens and in Little Hats. Um, I've run all the way through uh, my Little Hats years and uh, school years and then as a senior um, through my 20s and now into my 30s. um, I found marathons, what were we, probably um, eight years ago or so, maybe a touch over, Uh, yeah, ran my first marathon back then. And um, yeah, that's sort of been the distance of choice since.
0: (laughs) What made you gravitate towards the marathon as opposed to something shorter?
1: Well, it was kind of on my bucket list. It was a bit of a bucket list item. And um, I sort of was running reasonable distances in training and thought, you know, I might as well sort of address that bucket list and (laughs) get out there and do one. And um, initially I was sort of hoping to run a sub three hour marathon and my coach had, uh, coached two females already to, um, run their first marathons and they'd both run in the two hours 40. And he was like, you know, you, you've got to aim for in the two forties. That's sort of, you know, how my, my um, record has been. So you've got to <laughs> keep it to that. And so I thought, all right, I'll, I'll knuckle down a little bit and try to aim for that sub two fifty. And, um, yeah in the a week before I was due to run my first marathon I got a stress fracture in my foot so um my debut was postponed it was probably about 15 months in the end so I was aiming to do Melbourne one year and then I pushed it back to Gold Coast the next year and then it got pushed back out to Melbourne so it was 12 months after or so um that I was expecting to do my debut but um yeah, I think that extra twelve months um, of recovery and then training sort of worked in my favour because I came out and ran it two hours forty two,
0: and well it was about
1: thirty seconds off the B qualifier for the Commonwealth Games. So that's sort of what started the journey. So it wasn't just a didn't just end up being a tick off the bucket list kind of run. It opened my eyes up to sort of I suppose the a whole new chapter to um, yeah where my running has taken me.
0: Yeah, and. How's that progress from now? Like in terms of the marathons you've completed, the times that you've done, what you've been able to qualify for? Like, what is what's that career shaped into?
1: Yeah, it's um well, it's kind it's kind of you know if you if you mapped it out on a graph, it would be a gradual decreasing. Um, like I've I've gotten quicker over that time, but it hasn't always been like every race I've gotten faster. Um, there was my slowest one that I ran, which was 2 hours 43, it was in Berlin in 2018, actually, um, and now I was sort of plagued with a bunch of injuries, and then uh, during COVID, I obviously couldn't uh, race much during that time, so uh, trained, um, got got fit again and trained, and then came back out and did Melbourne again in, uh, was it, 2020 it might have been, 2021. Um, Yeah, and ran a two hours 32, which was a PB by about four minutes at that time. Wow. And then over the next uh, maybe six months or so, I ran another two and got down to two hours 30 and 10 seconds, which, um, yeah, that's my my PB. But that was two marathons ago. I've run another two this year. Um, Nagoya in Japan in March and then the World Champs um, just coming up to five weeks ago. And um, yeah, the conditions weren't great in Budapest for the world chance for me to run fast. And Nagoya just didn't have a good run on the day. So um, yeah, I'm hoping to still break that two hours thirty mark. That's that's the next one on the on the list.
0: Wow, very cool, very great times, and great to see that um, that career kind of shape out. I wanted to dive into you've alluded to already that stress fracture in your foot, and you said you were plagued with injuries throughout this time um what would be your most um significant injury to date
1: um probably i think my bone stress injuries you could probably couple them into one because i think they all probably relate to the same sort of issues just with bone health and um all female things that um um, being a female, being a distance athlete, and not having strong bones probably all leads to um, the the same result. And I, I had a number of bone injuries. Um, that yeah, over the course of two years or so, I had four um, a, a tibial stress fracture, and then three in my femurs, two in one and one in the other. Wow. So that was they were that was a that was a, not a great time. Um, but probably the the most significant other than them would be Achilles. Um, I had big Achilles issues from like 2014 through until 2018 or so and I ended up going down the surgery path um, which was I was nervous about because I sort of thought this could be this could be the end um, but it was they it, it fixed it the surgery completely um, was just as allowed my body to keep going um, pain-free so That was a big decision at the time, but certainly something that has proved to have been the right choice now.
0: Do you know exactly what they did in the surgery?
1: Yeah, it was a um, calcaneal ostectomy. So the bone on the back of my heel was sort of protruding and it was protruding into the Achilles tendon. And so every time the tendon was sort of rubbing over the, the outside of that bone, it was kind of being shaved away. So the um, the bursa and the tendon were um, had been affected by that. And so what they did was um, cut my um, heel open on both sides, and then they sawed the back of the heel bone off. So they right. cut off about half an inch, um, and then that just allowed the meant the the tendon wasn't stretched over the bone any longer. Um, they they tidied up the the um, the messy part of the tendon and. Um, yeah, it's been it's been really good since.
0: Great, great to hear. Uh, I'm curious about these stress fractures, particularly the one like the neck of the femur. That's like a location that's quite serious. And can masquerade as like some people just say, "I just have this hip pain." And it, often with stress fractures, they often get like misdiagnosed or undiagnosed for a long time before they're actually picked up, and then you know, serious interventions usually required by that stage. Um, I'm curious with that particular injury, is was it picked up quickly? What were the symptoms like? Did you think it was something else beforehand?
1: Yeah, I thought it was the first time I was having um, pain in my quads. I thought it was adductor soreness. And so I was just getting dry needling done in my adductors and just running through it. And like I'm a bit of a, like most distance runners, um, you put it off and run through it. How and dare all you? That. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I was definitely guilty of that, and um, and it went on. It would have been weeks that it that it went on, and that I tried to get the soft tissue um, sort of help with it, but it just didn't go away. And the, the the last run that I actually did before I thought I have to go and see a doctor was. Um, up in the Dandenongs in Fernie, and running on the downhills, and just every time my foot was landing on the downhill, and just the the pressure and pain going through my quad, um, which I now know was my femur, was just it was it, I couldn't run properly. So I had to bite the bullet and go and see the doctor, and um, yeah, had the scans done, and he was like, "You've got a you've got a hot spot in your femur." Um, and so that was early 2016 actually that I, I um, and it was sort of in the middle of the shaft of my femur and I was at the time entered into um, Paris Marathon and was trying to put my best foot forward for Olympic selection even though there were three girls that were um, had run really fast times um, in ahead of me but that was sort of my attempt to put my best foot forward and um the doctor sort of said like if you run that marathon with the hot spot it probably won't get worse where it is but um because it was only it was sort of in the middle of the bone but he said like you'll definitely feel it sort of thing um so i went ahead and and ran it um and it was like it was fine during the race you don't really think about it uh, but then did the recovery afterwards and then built back up again. And in the process of building up again in 2016, um, I ended up with hot spots in both of my femurs. So then we sort of had to, um, yeah, take another step back or so, um, just reconsider, just reconsider what <laughs> the way I was building up and the load and um, all of that. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, just that that process of having to, Um, start again every couple of months and you know you get to be unfit when you're recovering and then you got to build back up again it's it was fatiguing not just physically but sort of emotionally as well it it takes a toll to have to keep coming back so um yeah but we've been going going better since
0: (laughs) great i it sounds extremely frustrating like especially bone stress reactions or stress fractures they're you know the requirements are time off, downtime, unfortunately, like getting unfit from running and those sorts of things, which a runner never wants to do. And they're always compelled to still run and always in fear of losing all the fitness that they've gained. And unfortunately, just with stress fractures, it's one of those things where um, it's you have to be patient. It's all in due time, just waiting for that, th- those bones to heal, which is unfortunate, but
1: Yeah, and patience is not one of the, uh, probably a strong suit of most athletes, I don't imagine.
0: Yes, exactly. I'm curious though, like over the years with these types of injuries, you seem to have like, or be predisposed to these type of injuries. Have you tried to evolve your training sessions, like how you're training, how you're building back up, how you're preparing for races with that history um, and, you know, knowing... being through the steps that you have
1: yeah I think there's probably two major um, changes that we made one in the build-up in the weeks when I was starting to run again into build-up fitness Um, from some advice from um, people that were helping me out through the time they sort of said that bone um, if it was a soft tissue um, injury then you can sort of build that load you know you can do a couple of days in a row and then have a day off or you can do three days in a row have a day off whatever but they said with bones they need they need a day on day off cut to to absorb the load that's been put back through them and in someone whose training program is a seven-day schedule <laughs> it doesn't fit into having one day on one day off and that seven day suits because you know I, I work and I get into my routine and that's you know I do this run on this day but to have to change my build up to be one day on one day off meant it was more of a rolling kind of um, training schedule rather than a a weekly routine Um, but we did that and I did that for um, a number of months actually day on day off and was able to sort of build up a bit of fitness and was cross training on every other day so um, yeah, that just sort of allowed my body to um, absorb the load that I was putting back through um, through my bones um, and, and seemed to have, to have made a difference. So that was one thing we did. And then um, the second with sort of ongoing training, um, I kept one day off in, my, in each week. So Fridays is a no-run day. Um, and that we kind of left as a day off as I was building back up from um, from my bone injuries but I then just was getting quite fit and then you know didn't want to be overloading if I didn't need to and then I started running faster than I had been running before and so we just kept the day off um, as a as a non-running day and I don't I actually don't really cross train um, in a regular week on a Friday it is just a a day off um let my body absorb the work and then get back to it on the sat day so that was um yeah that was another another change that that we made and i still yeah have fridays off
0: so that was the build-up after this the bone stress is doing like a run every second day and then a cross training every altern every other day uh what were your cross training options
1: I was either on the spin bike or on a road bike and um, not a very good road bike. <laughs> so it was always funny sort of riding along the Esplanade or beach road and you got these um, people with the, the proper gear and I was just trying to um, keep up. So I was cycling on the road or doing the spin bike, but I did quite a lot of um, power walking as well. Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't get your heart rate up, but it's probably the closest movement to running that you can do without running. So, and I just kind of found that that, kept a lot of my body conditioned to that sort of movement. Um, yeah. And, and put sort of, um, stress through the muscles used to run, but without, um, without, um, yeah, the, the high intensity and high pressure um On them as well. So, yeah, walking and cycling. I don't do any swimming.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about that. I, not many runners are convinced to do swimming. Sometimes with stress fractures, people are convinced to do like aqua jogging. Did you ever try that?
1: I've done it before. I'm not, I just, you know, swimming just takes too much time in my day. You know, you've got to drive to a pool and you've got to like, get changed and if your hair gets wet then you got to wash it and it's just too much time (laughs) I like to be able to chuck my runners on and go out the door Um, anything more than that just becomes inconvenient so you know I haven't I've done it but I I don't do it it's not my go-to yeah
0: I've dabbled into triathlons before and um, when I met my partner Megan she was a big swimmer and curly hair and really had to maintain like hair maintenance was a a whole (laughs) process and the same like she had to only do it once or twice a week because she's like you know I just don't have the time to go through that whole process and I'm like it makes me kind of blessed about running like you just put on your shoes you just head out the door you can even just smash out you know 20-30 minutes and then you know you're back at you're back home and you have a shower and you're back doing what you're doing it's um it's kind of nice in that sense
1: yeah, I agree. That's a that is uh, like I because I run, I've been able to do all the other things that I do in my life as well. Because exactly what you said, you can get up and go, and within an hour you're you know looking normal and ready for the day. So hmm. I I appreciate that about running.
0: The now that you're sort of out of the woods when it comes to the build up and mitigating any bone stress stuff, uh, when you're into your marathon training what does it now look like are, are you still are you doing back-to-back run days now and what does that weekly yeah. structure look like
1: yeah so i'm back onto a seven-day schedule and it's a pretty probably sort of um a pretty standard or common uh weekly routine sundays is always a long run day um so i often or usually always do that up in the dandy Dandenongs at fernie creek um monday is sort of another continuous run it'd be about 70 minutes or so um tempo like i'm not i'm not thresholding it but i'm also not jogging it most of my runs are actually um i don't really have a slow run in the week one because i have the friday off and two um i only have a certain amount of time to get out and train so i like to make it um make it count so Monday, yeah, about 70 minutes and then Tuesday, a morning run, um, about 35 minutes in the morning and then a session in the afternoon. Um, and as sessions, um, you know, it can change between hill reps or a fartlek or 1K reps is, um, yeah, they're probably the sessions I kind of go between on a Tuesday um wednesday is like midweek long run and so that's 90 minutes um do 90 minutes on a wednesday thursday uh, morning run again 35 minutes and then try to do a track session on a thursday and that would be either 400s like 10 400s or quarters it's um, sort of my speed session. It's not super speedy, um, but I like to think it's, you know, not too bad. Um and then Friday day off, Saturday, uh, sort of longer reps on a Saturday morning. So it might be like five-minute efforts or 10-minute efforts. Um, and then a run in the afternoon, 35 minutes. And then, yeah, back to Sunday. So my Sunday runs uh, leading up to a marathon are around about two and a half hours.
0: Okay. Would that be the longest you'd get to... Well, like, Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know I have just updated my 5-Day Injury Prevention Challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Leading up to the marathon.
1: Yeah, so the longest I would do is 2 hours 35. And up in the Dandenongs, it's probably around 36 kilometres, mm. um, yeah, up in the hills.
0: Gotcha. And would you practice or do any of those segments at race pace? Like, do you strategically put that in?
1: Um, I don't, like, I, I don't um, have any sessions that are set at marathon pace, but they all, each do have a goal. So, um, you know, my continuous runs during the week, like Monday and a and a Wednesday are sort of the the longer runs with a bit of tempo, so they're not they're, I, I don't run them sluggish at all. So they're kind of, yeah, keeping keeping going, you know, got a little bit of pace over the the longer distances. Their Tuesday and Thursday are both running faster than marathon uh, pace in in the sessions and the efforts. Um, they're short recovery, so it's the, the work-rest anaerobic kind of, um, or work rest, rest ratio in the anaerobic um, training in those sessions. Um, and then the sat day, it's the longer aerobic uh, reps. And they're, they're faster than race pace as well. Um, and yeah, but they're, I don't do any sessions or have any key workouts that are at marathon pace. But I will strategically place you know whether it's a half marathon or a 10k um, in the lead up uh, just to to have a hit out and obviously have targets set for that. Um, but both of those would be run at faster than marathon race pace as well. Wow.
0: And so when you you're right into the swing of this routine, do you have time for strength training or cross training or anything like that?
1: I don't do a lot of strength training. I, I, like, to, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I like to think that um, my running up in the dandinongs is, you know, is is a form of strength training um, that I don't that that you don't get from running on the roads or on the flat often. So that's one of the ways that I kind of justify it to myself. Um, I do some activation stuff before sort of my faster workouts but I don't have a reliable strength routine, especially when I'm in marathon training because I, I get too tired really to to do it. And um, with my work in there as well, it's the, if something's got to give, then it will be my strength um, training that that does give. Um, however, like when you're in a recovery phase or you're in a low mileage phase or not training for a marathon, I do try to do a bit more of it, but it's it's, like I'll go through a phase of it, and then for whatever reason, it'll, it'll it's always the first thing that gets cut back.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's based on the enjoyment factor as well. Like probably something that you haven't drilled into as a habit or something that you've enjoyed, and it just falls by the wayside.
1: Yeah, I think yeah, it, it's that's definitely that definitely contributes for sure. Do
0: you have <laughs> and any? I'm not that
1: good at it. No, <laughs> that's yeah. The other thing. Well,
0: yeah, and like yeah. usually as a, as a runner who eventually will go to a gym, they end up just doing like bodyweight exercises and those sort of high reps, which doesn't really carry, carry over to running anyway. But like you say, it's just cause it's what they're the best at when they are in the gym, they sort of will gravitate towards that. And it's like getting to the gyms, pushing them out of their comfort zone, like trying to do heavier based exercises, even harder to convince them to do because mm-hmm. it's so foreign to them and they're not good at it. So, you know, it's usually the first thing to go.
1: Yeah, probably my most successful cross training and strength based cross training was when I was injured and I tagged along with one of my friends to her CrossFit gym, and even that was a challenge going wow. to a CrossFit gym, admitting that I was going to go and do that. But um, I was the you know I was learning how to squat and do these fancy lifts with a with a broomstick. So like I was a complete beginner. So it was. Um, you know, going from someone who's super competitive and who's at the top of your game to a complete novice and someone that's no good at, at strength training it was, it, it taught me a bit of patience doing that. But when I got sort of the basics right, the training that I was doing was was um, heavy weights and low reps, which is, that's actually my preference for strength training. If I'm going to do it, I want to be able to feel that it's making a difference And there. And there's, you know, there's science that supports that as well. But if I'm going to strength train, then I want to do heavy, low reps. And, and if I'm doing that at a time where I don't have a lot of time to do it, I don't have the equipment. And so driving somewhere to access it is another barrier for me so you know I've got lots of I've got every excuse not to do it
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah a lot of obstacles there a lot of friction to try and get there is there have you um like when you socialize with other elite runners do you know if much of them like in the same situation you're in in terms of what distances they're covering um and that sort of stuff are they focusing on strength training at all
1: yeah, I think like most, it's, it's probably situational for everyone. Mm. So like others that have families and, and work, again, it's, it's probably the first thing that goes. They, they know the importance, they'll do it every now and then if they can, but if it's, you know, if they've got a busy week or um, they've got high mileage, they will prioritize the other parts of their training and, and let that slide um people that i know that don't have as many commitments um outside of their running they will definitely have a routine they will it'll be built in as part of their training you know twice a week they'll they'll hit the gym um there's um there'd be a combination of heavy stuff and also uh body weight exercises but uh yeah i think it's it's a situational thing for most people that i know um whether they can build it in or not everyone knows the importance and why we should do it, but not everyone does. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I've spent like many a podcast episodes trying to convince runners to do just that. Um I'm curious with the you said with your marathon training, you'd sort of build up your long run to about two and a half hours, two thirty five, and when it slowly gets to towards marathon, how would you best prepare like what does the taper look like and um strategically what gets you to the start line
1: yeah so my taper probably starts like you say the marathon's on a sunday it probably starts the friday before so nine days out um so that last week i would do just it it, the the volume cuts back but the intensity sort of stays pretty steady so i don't cut back on um intensity and duration the duration cuts back but the intensity is pretty relatively the same um, and the frequency is the same i still run on each of the days i usually would so um yeah that that day it's kind of tempo running um that uh yeah that the eight eight days out the sunday cuts back to an hour 40 um so uh, that'd be or it depends where you're running but it's around about 20 to 22k or so um monday cuts back to 50 to 60 minutes um tuesday i would still run twice on a tuesday um but the afternoon say i was doing 1k efforts i would just do three of them um but again the the, the pace i try to keep Uh, consistent to what i have been training at but just do three um just do three on that final tuesday um the wednesday about an hour again um thursday i would only run once on a thursday so i'd cut back that double run um and it would just be maybe a 40 minute run with um some strides um at the end friday i wouldn't run and then saturday i'd run you know 30 jog just 30 minutes or so. And then ready for, um, yeah, ready for the race on the Sunday, but I would adjust that. So if my race was on the Saturday, it'd all be moved back a day. And if my race was on a Monday, it'd all be moved forward a day, but it's just our marathons tend to be on a Sunday.
0: Gotcha. Have you sort of fine tuned that as the marathons of, as you've done more and more marathons, have you made a slight adjustments or have you just stuck to that strategy
1: throughout? We've like, we've probably made adjustments every single time I've run a marathon. There's been, you know, some little tweaks that we've made, like on a, I used to double run on a Monday and we stopped doing that because my Fernie run on a Sunday was taking too much out of me. And if I ran on a Sunday morning and then only ran once on a Monday and put it in the afternoon, I was almost getting a day and a half of recovery from my Sunday long run, so we moved that. Um, yeah, we stopped doing that that double run on a Monday. So we've learnt little things like that. In terms of the taper, I like to keep probably my biggest takeaway about tapering is not actually my physical preparation. It's probably about my mental preparation, and part, like the hardest thing or one of the hard things about taper week is that. Um, like you feel so lethargic or you can feel really lethargic. You've just been going and going and going every day. It's just like running, eating, sleeping, working, repeating. And then you get to that final week and you start to back off a bit. You start to have more energy. And the challenge for me can be thinking, um, you know, am I, I feel like I'm getting unfit now and um, just keeping my mind in the, the space that it needs to be. So yeah, taper week um, for me, it's less about the physical because backing off, that will naturally make me, um, uh, make me feel better. But it's about keeping my mind where it needs to be, and um, probably nutrition. In the last couple of days, it's, um, yeah, probably those things that I think need the better balance in that that last week rather mm. than the physical.
0: I'll talk about the nutrition in a second. But when you're talking about um, psychologically, emotionally preparing during the taper, is that just reassuring to yourself that this is the process like if you start getting jittery because you're not running a lot or is it psychologically preparing you for the difficult task that is the marathon like what um practical things do you do include
1: i think it's not it's about not letting myself get sucked into um reading into too much about how my body's feeling I, it's a, and it's a and it, on the flip side of that, it's about reassuring myself that I have done the work and I've got the fitness and it's it's in my body. And so, not to yeah, fall victim to oh, did I feel this? And you know, I felt a bit did I was I a bit tired this morning? It's not reading into that, mm. um, but it's also about priming my mind for the effort that's ahead. And um, yeah, reminding, just getting your, your head in the in the right frame of mind, like reminding yourself why you're doing it and the work that you've done, um, surrounding yourself by people that are encouraging and supporting of you. And um, yeah, that's the, um, and you know, whether it is, you know, like even reading motivational quotes or something that connects you, it connects to you at a particular time that, um you know, and that last week leading up to a marathon, it's always a time where I'll find um, what my mantra is going to be for the race. And it's something that I write down on my hand. Um, and that becomes my mantra from 30K onwards um, in the marathon. And I never know, like I can never decide too far out what that's going to be because it's got to be something that connects to me at the time. And um, it's funny because something always, you know, always comes along. Um, but yeah, for me, it's about getting my head in the right spot for the work that's ahead and feeling good about it and, and, um, confident, um, and confident about it.
0: Can you remember or share like what you wrote down as a mantra for your last marathon?
1: Yeah, so I can remember, um, I've done three in the last, oh, yeah, I've done three in the last 12 months. I remember, um, so this last one that was the world champs at Budapest was forecast to be 23 to 30 degrees or so during the race. And I wrote on my hand, it's not hot, because that was something that I... I, I didn't want my mind to convince my body that it was too hot to run fast in the last 30K. I wanted my mind to convince my body that it wasn't, to not focus on it, that this isn't going to be the determining factor. So, um, yeah, for the last one, it was, it's not hot. Um, the one before that was, um, if you can, you must. Um I was in running Nagoya Marathon, and it was an opportunity. I I'd, I'd wanted to run that uh, race for a long time, and so I had this opportunity. I didn't have a great preparation, um, but I was there, and if I was there, I had to do what I could while I was there. And so I remember actually in the last, with 10K to go, um yeah, there were a few people sort of coming back to me and I was like, right, this is the moment. If you can, you must. Like, you're here, you must. You, like, now's the time. Um, but, and the one before that, the World Champs the year before, um, it was um, Make It Happen. And that was sort of a result of, uh, it was actually something putter Matt Denny said to the the Australian team um, at one of our team meetings. But he um yeah, it was just sort of, um, you know, it was reminding us that we had we we were there for a reason and we had what we needed to to perform. That's why we were there, um, and so to make it happen. And that was, um, yeah, that's what I had on, um, yeah, and the the world champs in 2022. So it's sort of, yeah, depends what comes up, what the what the weather's going to be, what the preparation's been like um yeah and just the sort of environments you find yourself in but there's always always something that very comes cool out.
0: thanks for sharing those um you mentioned nutrition as being an important part of the taper process or the marathon preparation um what sort of process do you go through
1: yeah it's well, like i do i do the carb loading i don't i don't i don't really have a uh like a special diet that i follow i'm just all about balance like i'll Um, yeah just I just have a balanced diet uh, while I'm training but in that uh, final week leading up I keep it regular just a regular diet um, up until probably the Thursday or so and then start on the um, on the carbs but I will always sort of go for the the white carbs and they're easier to digest so white bread white rice um, popcorn and just load up on that for um, yeah for the next couple of days so combine that with you know some veggies and chicken or fish or something in the evenings um but yeah just snack on the on white white to host and um rice for dinner so yeah i've found that my body responds pretty well to that um digests it and um that lasts me like if i've loaded up in the couple of days leading up that that energy store will certainly last me for the duration of a,
0: of a marathon. Very cool. We'll, we'll get through some of these patron questions because this, because um, Tasha asked, what was your favorite pre-race dinner? Um, I can't imagine it's going to be too exciting after, you know, what you've just talked through. Do you have any favorites?
1: Um, if I wasn't running a marathon, I'd go, I w- like I like to have gnocchi and that doesn't always sit well in, in everyone's gut, but I like a mushroom gnocchi with chicken um, I actually had that before the Gold Coast Half Marathon this year um, in July. So that was in in Broad Beach. That was a I do enjoy eating that, but I wouldn't have that before a marathon. I'd stick to the the white rice.
0: Okay, right. And another patron question: um, When you're traveling for a marathon, uh, you mentioned the Budapest Marathon. Are you strategic about how many days beforehand you arrive to then acclimatise and get used to? Um, the whole environment and time zone differences and that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah. Um, I would, it, de- it depends on what time zone, how different the time zone is for you. So I went to Japan earlier this year and that was only a two hour time zone difference. So I went over maybe three days before that and that was fine. Yeah. Um, you just for me like I get ankles when I fly so I just need to make sure I've got at least a day to sort of let my legs and ankles get back to normal um have a bit of a jog around and then freshen up um so three days I, I think I went over on the Wednesday I think and the race was on the Sunday so that was um fine for um, Japan it was just yeah two hour time difference but going over to Europe or America I'd want at least a week um because it takes when I went to America actually last year, that took a good five days for me to get my sleep pattern onto the new time zone. Um, it wasn't didn't take me that long in Europe, but it's more for me about um, getting my body systems in order so that I can wake up and do a poo, so I don't have to when I'm starting the marathon. So for me, that's probably like one of the things that's on my mind the most when I travel is just getting like my eating and body systems into the time zone so that, yeah, I can I start a race and not feel like I need to go to the toilet.
0: Yeah, yeah, probably a disaster if you get to the start line, like, oh God, I need to go. And, you know, yes. that's, yeah, that can definitely derail a uh, race day. Definitely. <laughs> what about like during the race, do you go with the flow? Do you adopt a certain pace strategy? Are you... Um, conscious of your pace and you know what what's the race strategy
1: yeah i think that again it sort of depends on what the race is and what the conditions are um i've certainly gone into races where i've known that i've had to run a certain pace and um or a certain time and this is a pace that i need to run to do it and so um it's kind of um so it can be a little bit daunting running that way, especially if you haven't run that pace before. But again, in the lead up, just um, having confidence in the work that you've done. Um, so in that case, I would, I would look at my um, clock or get a time from probably 5K um, maybe half half marathon and then sort of 30K. And then just from then, it's sort of knowing whether I'm on pace or not. If you're slowing at 30K, someone telling you you're slowing at 30K, I don't find helpful. No. So I just kind of want to know that I'm on pace in the first half or so and then just try to maintain it um, as best as I can. Um, and then, but then some races like the, the Budapest race, the time, my time goals for that completely went out the window when the forecast sort of became clear. And it was not about the time at all. It was about um, completing it basically and being as competitive as I could be um, on the day. But, you know, there were no girls that ran anywhere near close to their best at, um, yeah, in Budapest. So the, the time was secondary in that. And I actually, I that's one marathon. I haven't gone back and looked at my splits cause I don't want to know what they are. I know that I slowed down in the second half. I think 30 to 40 K was my slowest 10 K like it would have been my slowest 10 K. And I don't want to know any more than that. Cause I going into that race, I felt much fitter. Like I felt like I was the fittest I'd ever been. And I didn't get to show it in those conditions. So, um, yeah, some races I'll go back and be like, you know, you you slowed down from 20 to 25. These were your K splits. And, you know, it might be... And I'll interrogate it. I didn't for Budapest. Um, I ran 2.37. And, yeah, I didn't want to know. I don't want to know the details. So... Yeah, it depends. It, it depends on sort of the the conditions and the goal for um, for the race. But I've certainly run, yeah, certainly run races for in both of those ways.
0: Is that? It's funny how you can't control all the variables. Like if you want a really good race, things outside of your control also need to fall into place as well. And weather being one of the major factors in there. And I guess it's one of those on those sort of days when it is. When the conditions aren't favorable, it's probably a good reminder to let you know, okay, it's, let's not focus on pace, but also if it's a hot day or a humid day or something, everyone else is struggling. It's good reminder to be like, everyone's being subject to the same heat. It's all the same playing field. Let's not compare my pace to my marathon the year prior. Let's just accept the fact that everyone's suffering. Let's see who can um, yeah. get through it the best.
1: Yeah, play, play the chips that you've got. And that was actually um, a sort of leading into that race. We, we looked at what we could control and what was out of our control. And, and what we could control was the way we prepared for the hot weather and the, the, what we had in place on the day for pre-cooling and during the race, cooling and hydration and all of that. So, you know, my strategy for that was as best as I could make it. And that was something that was in my control But the the direct sun, the temperature, the um, conditions was not so that we just had to go with it. But but putting in place all of the things that we could do to sort of make it as bearable as possible. So um, yeah, that's a whether it's hot or whether it's windy or whether it's pouring rain. Just some days you can you just really luck out.
0: Yeah. What about after the marathon? Do you have a routine about recovery and um, how you like to? you know, celebrate and those sorts of things?
1: Yeah, it's sort of um, I don't pay a lot of attention to the recovery straight after, although that's maybe that's not true. I do try to move around as much as possible. So I, I, you know, will sit and let my body all lie down more likely. Just being horizontal is probably like the best feeling post-marathon. Um, and and just refuel as much as my body will allow it. But in by the time the afternoon comes around, I do try to move around and go for a bit of a walk because you um, can really stiffen up and, and that's not good for subsequent days. But I used to be really sort of, um, you know, next day out for a 30 minute jog and, you know, um, just easy jogs for that following week. But I'm kind of at the point now where I'm just like, I'll do what My body feels like it wants to do. And if that is nothing, then I won't do anything for a couple of days. And, you know, if I'm really sore, I'll let myself just recover until it's not so sore and then I'll start jogging again. But um, for me, I sort of allow myself four weeks or so post marathon to jog around a bit, to recover, to mentally switch off and, you know, spend some time doing other things. Um, before I start to to build back up again. But it's one of those, um, like everything in the lead up to a marathon is all about the marathon, all your eating and your training and your daily routine and everything. So as soon as it's done, it's almost sort of a bit of a relief and you can just, you know, eat whatever you want and stay up late and have a few drinks and catch up with friends. So I do, like I definitely try to, even out that balance post-marathon uh because it's totally skewed towards marathon um towards running the marathon before it's done
0: yeah a bit more of longevity i think because if 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 it's all solely focused on one purpose and you just go from one race to the next there's like burnout there's overtraining there's under-recovering all that sort of stuff and the Physical and mental element of um, just staying switched on that whole time probably isn't that sustainable. Doesn't probably have a lot of longevity attached
1: to it. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I had a bit of a burnout situation twelve months ago, um, where I didn't use my four weeks as well as I should have because I was just on a high. I'd run my PB, and you know I just wanted to keep running and keep racing, and then. Um, it caught up with me like three months after, um, after the world champs in 2022. And I was flat for three to four months. And that was the time leading into Nagoya earlier this year. And I was just, um, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't at my best. So my coach after this marathon is very much being like, you're not racing every race and you're not doing this and you're not doing that. So um, yeah, I've just tried to learn from last year and be sensible.
0: I'm glad you've recognized that because a lot of people, I don't know, I feel like some people would be like, I'm not performing at my best. It's time for me to sort of train harder or like focus a little bit more. Um, anyway, I think some people can steer in the opposite direction and actually try to push and push and push and, you know, get injured or just like totally lose the love of it. And why they're mm-hmm. doing it in the first place and that sort of stuff. And so glad you recognized it and actually uh, changing what you're doing moving forward to help mitigate that. That's nice.
1: Yeah. We don't always get it right, but like, I like to think I can, well, my coach might say otherwise, he might say that I don't really learn very quickly, but we're, <laughs> you know, we're getting there. <laughs> it's good
0: to like have these conversations with someone performing at such an early level to know that you do have these mistakes and you do get injured and like, you do have these like high and low moments you are learning and tweaking and doing all these sort of things. Cause a lot of people can just see what times you're posting and be like, oh yeah, it's all drilled in. It's, it's always been like that. It's always this perfect sort of straight run to the start line and then to the finish line. And it um, doesn't always happen that way, nor is it like once you have a chat with someone, nor is that really the case. And so mm. um, it's, good, it's good to have these insights. Um,
1: yeah. The Last year I did, I was just thinking about it earlier today, actually. I did um, Melbourne Marathon last year. I did a half marathon and it was the last race that I did um, sort of in my campaign last year. And it was one too many and as soon as it was finished i was grateful to have two weeks of jogging around and easy recovery runs and after i'd done that for two weeks i had one week off completely and then my first run back i felt worse than what i did um, a week earlier even after having a week of not doing anything and that was the beginning of my whole body just not being in the same place that it was a month before And it took ages for me to start feeling myself again, like I'm talking through to March the following year. And um, yeah, it was just, I was, I would be out, I remember being out on one run actually, and I was running so slowly. I worked all day and then I had an evening event on and I was trying to sneak my run in between those two things. And I was out running and I was running so slowly and I just thought to myself, I don't, I don't have time to be running this slowly. And I turned around and went back. Um, but it was just, I was, I was annoyed with myself, like as, um, you know, we, we get, but I was also trying to, um, respond to how I was feeling and to like, listen to my body as well. So we then just took all the pressure off all the races that I had planned and just went back to, um, like trying to move each day and do something, and wait until I could—I sort of got through the the lull, and then um, yeah, try to build up when I started feeling better. But I couldn't—I couldn't rush it. It was just a see how you feel each day when you get up.
0: Amazing! Thanks for sharing that. That's great. Uh, I i have been curious to ask for a recreational runner wanting to train to run a sub three hour marathon. It's like a pretty big shift in training and thinking and all that sort of stuff. What tips would you have for a recreational runner who does want to train and run a sub three marathon?
1: Um, There's well, there's no secrets to being able to run faster. It's just about being consistent and doing the miles day after day. So um whatever you're like there's no point going out to do a you know run every day for a week and knock it out of the path and then you know you're sore and tired for the next four weeks whatever you do make it sustainable and keep it consistent that's going to be um like that's going to give you the best foundation to be able to get faster and stronger on um not one session is going to be um, your knockout session. Um, if you go out and run five mile efforts in a certain time, that's not gar- going to guarantee you anything. Um, and in fact, I would say that a week of good solid training is better than one knockout session that um, takes you a while to recover from. Um, and yeah, like it's, I, I've, you know, running is a really simple. It's really, it's a really simple thing. Um, you just gotta get be willing to get up and and do it. The consistency and sustainable changes, I would say, is like the biggest thing that um, you can do to sort of build a base and set you up to to run a fast marathon. But always, for how whatever pace you're trying to run a marathon in, you need a you like you need a team. It's never just an individual thing. You need to have, um, the people that you either run with or ride a bike with you, or, um, that, you know, the person that gives you a massage or even a partner that's going to like make you meals or rub your feet or whatever it might be. It's always like, you no one ever runs a marathon by themselves. It's always a result of like other people contributing as well. So having that sort of, um, network around you is definitely a big help too.
0: That's really interesting. Back to the, um, consistency side of it. So, Would you recommend a runner try to find out what volume they can tolerate? That being like, say, running five or six days per week and saying, okay, let's see what what I can maintain here, what I can tolerate, what my body bounces back from so I can consistently do it week by week. So finding that particular platform and building from there.
1: Yeah, I would. Um. Yeah, probably. I would. And, and if you're not, if you're not currently running six days a, a week, I wouldn't encourage someone to do that. Like if it's five days, I would stick to the five days. And if it's four days, I'd stick to your four days and um, play around with the distance on those days that you're doing. So like for me, when I'm marathon training, my build, specific marathon build will start It'd be great if it was three months out, but sometimes it's only eight weeks out from from a marathon. So it's about like I, and I have those days that I train, but the miles that I do build up gradually week by week when that specific marathon build actually starts. So if you are currently running five days a week, I would stick with that, but I would build on the miles that you're doing in a particular session on particular days to sort of, to get that volume. I don't think adding in an extra day during a marathon build is the right thing because you um, need to have the balance to recover and to absorb what you're doing. And um, you don't want to overload. And it's a really fine line if you're adding on miles on each day and then adding an additional day, you're probably not giving your body enough time to absorb and get stronger and and actually build on it it might just be getting run into the ground so that being said like you could do that for your first second or third marathon and then you've done that a few times already so for your fourth fifth or sixth you may be at the point where you add in a sixth day um, or double runs or something like that but um, yeah you need to be um, you, you probably won't get it like you won't well maybe some people do run their best in their their very very first marathon but you'll learn something each time you're better off getting to the start line um and running a marathon than overloading yourself and not getting to the start line and not being able to do it so it's a fine line it's a balance you need to listen to your body um but i wouldn't yeah i wouldn't change the amount of days that you do i think there's enough gain you can get out of changing the the volume and intensity on the days you're already running
0: yeah um By the sounds of it and just me knowing most recreational runners it seems like that base mileage is probably slightly under what they think it is um because if they're like okay marathon training okay sub three let's go and their expectations or their anticipations of what they think they can handle is usually a little bit above what's in reality so it might be just that little step gear change back from what they um they think just so that they and then build upon that one would you agree with that
1: yeah I think so and to be honest like when you sort of say a recreational runner wanting to run sub three I don't think recreational runners run sub three like for me a recreational runner would run sub 330 like I think that's you can't run sub 330 without a level of fitness and without training that's gone into it I think sub three hours is is it's more than recreational. Like you, you've been training a lot. You've spent, you know, you've dedicated a lot of time, and you, you've got to have more than just a level of fitness to run sub three hours. That's a, you just can't underestimate how hard that is to do, um, and to sustain the pace that's needed over 42.2 kilometers to run sub three hours. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you need to. There, it's it's not an easy thing to do. People can't just like, you know, yeah, your local footballer or netballer can't just rock up to a start line and run sub three hours. There has to have been training for a marathon that's gone into being able to do that.
0: Yeah. Great reminder. Um, as we wrap up, what, what's, what's coming up for you? What are you working on? Uh, what races, what goals do you have?
1: Yeah, well, I'll run um, probably my next race will be November, December. There's a there's a half marathon in Hong Kong that I'm um, maybe doing um, in November. And then ZADAPEC is early December. So I'd love to run both of those between now and the end of the year. And then we'll need to decide on what marathon I do um, next year. It's obviously going into another Olympic year. Um, the women's marathon running is just out of control everyone's just running super fast so um, if i could if i can get um you know my fitness back up to where it was going into budapest and maybe a bit um better than that and then uh, run a marathon in good conditions then you know if i can run get well under the sub 230 that would be great Um, and i will just yeah again it's the control the controllables i need to um get out a good marathon um, that i know that i can run I can't control what the other girls are doing, but we'll, yeah, put myself in the best position that we can and, and, um, yeah, see what happens. But yeah, it'll be another couple of races later this year and then a marathon early next year. And then we'll go from there.
0: Very cool. Best of luck with that. And are you active on social media at all? Are there any accounts where people can follow your journey and that sort of stuff?
1: Yeah, I'm on Instagram and and Facebook. Um, I'm not super active on there, but people are welcome to follow along. It's it's they are just running accounts um, that yeah just keep keep updated on um, the events the events that I'm doing and and what's going on. So you're welcome to follow. I'm not you know super active.
0: I'll include the links because I do have your Instagram and Facebook accounts. So I'll I'll add those into the the show notes below and. Yeah, just want to say thanks. It's great to get these insights and um, let people know that you're human, you're working hard, you're training hard and just trying to learn and adapt and get faster. It's, it's really cool to see all these elements sort of play out and the sort of times that you're accomplishing at the moment. It's really, really cool. So thanks for sharing your insights and your training and all that sort of stuff and best of luck with all these upcoming goals that you have.
1: Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk running with um, other people that love their running as well. So, thanks for having me.
0: You're welcome. If you are struggling to overcome an injury, you can jump on a free 20 minute injury chat with me, which you can book through my calendar in the show notes. While you're in the show notes, elevate your running IQ by jumping onto my free email list so you can receive material to help rehab your injury, lower your injury risk, and increase your performance emails aren't for you, consider my Facebook group, Instagram, and YouTube channels. And remember, each insight you get from these resources brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough.